This is the Truth for the Matter is podcast. I'm Jonathan, your host, and we're welcoming you back for another edition of Bible Study Reflection Solo with Friends. Today, I have a special guest with me, one who I've actually interviewed. The episode hasn't come out yet, but we've actually have been engaged in the dialogue quite a bit. And I felt that this sort of question that I wanted to ask but didn't get a chance to ask on the actual interview would actually be fit perfect for this segment. So I want to welcome in Anna. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jonathan. It's good to talk to you again. Okay, cool. So how's your day been going? It's been going well for you? It's been going great. Yeah, nice quiet afternoon. How about for you? My day is better from yesterday. Yesterday was actually kind of terrible. So I actually oh, was no. yeah, watering plants for my mom. And in the midst of it, I lost the charger with one of the earpieces in it. I lost my wallet. And then to make matters worse, when I got back to my car, it wouldn't start. Turns out oh, I no. had to change the battery and the starter. I was like, this is terrible. Like, But, you know, for some strange reason, <laughs> I didn't panic. It was just one of those things. It's like, a long list. <laughs> yeah. I was, like, I was like, it was just so much at the moment. But, you know, I just want to thank God because financially I was able to, you know, handle the blow that I have received and I was able to go today and make sure I got my two or my three credit cards and debit cards from Chase and Citibank. So yeah. Oh my goodness. Wow. Yeah, it was it was I didn't know how I felt yesterday. <laughs> I was like because it's like I remember when I was a kid, the first thing I would do is cry. But to but yesterday I was like, you're a man now. We don't we don't cry. We just sort of just this is happening to me. Like I can't believe this happening to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I don't yep. know with these, with these headsets, they're not as easy to hold on to and make sure they're secure. And then with these pockets, I always try to make sure I have the zipper. But for some strange yeah. reason, yesterday I got distracted. Something happened, and then I went back, retraced my steps, couldn't find it anywhere else. Like this is this is terrible. It's kind of unbelievable. Like everything just fell out. That's crazy. Yeah, I was just, man, I'm like, we don't have no righteous people that might have said, hey, yeah, he dropped this and left <laughs> it at the, at the register. Nobody. I'm like, okay, well, Mm-mm. not my day. So, no. Nope. All right, cool. All right, so before we get into it, we're going to pray first and foremost. That's what we do here on the Truth of the Matters podcast. Right. But for the first time, I won't be praying. I'm going to actually let Anna pray to begin, and I'll pray to close. I would love to pray. Oh, Lord, I thank you so much for time to get to talk about you and to get to know you better. And I just pray for Jonathan and for this podcast. I pray for every listener that's listening right now, Lord, that you would just reveal yourself to them, that we would each walk away from this conversation with a better sense of who you are and a sense of why we need you, Lord. Help us to glorify you and to enjoy you forever. Help us to fulfill the call that's on our lives. Help us to see you more clearly through our conversation. And Lord, I just pray a um, just a hold against anything that would not reflect you well, that we would see you rightly and that you would be here. I thank you that you are, that you come in the midst of us and that you are God with us. We love you so much. And I just pray blessings on Jonathan. I thank you for a better day today. And I thank you so much for financial provision and for practical provision and that you are with us even in the midst of challenges. In your holy name, amen. Amen. Okay, so we're going to get started. So the question that I meant to ask Anna, but I didn't get the chance to ask Anna. And, you know, you know, we sort of do that sometimes where we engage conversation and you think to yourself, man, if I could have asked this question, 
maybe I can ask it. There's a part two. So the question that I want to ask was, as Christians, as believers, are we the only one that have access to God's favor? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to let Anna start off us first. And then obviously we're going to get into some scripture and we're going to dig deep here. So if you're mm-hmm. listening, you know, take out your pen and paper, obviously. And we're going to actually walk through this and take that time with so. Yep. Okay. Um, so the first thing that came to mind when you asked this question was that passage in scripture that talks about the rain falling on the just and the ju- and the unjust. The sun rises on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust in Matthew 5. And so that's the first thing that occurred to me is that um, that there is this provision this kind of natural provision. There's a natural grace of just, we get to live on earth and we get to breathe air and we get to have the opportunity to see, um, to see that, that there's, that there is a created order, that there's a God. We have the opportunity to, um, to be called by him. And so there is this grace on both the unbeliever and the believer to have an opportunity you know, to have whatever our lifespan is, 70 years to get to enjoy this earth and the good things that come from it and the challenges and to, um, and to potentially say yes to Christ. And of course that there's a predestination piece to that as well. Um, I also just think about this, um, you know, Psalm 73 talks about the, um, about just the challenges that the psalmist is going through and the struggles. And, you know, here I see, um, I see the, uh, the non-believer, the wicked, um, you know, just enjoying the fat of the land and enjoying wealth and enjoying prosperity. And here I am suffering. Um, at the conclusion of that psalm, we see that there, that there is a limit, that there is an end to that favor, an end to that grace for those that are not in Christ, which is that they, it says at the end, um, for behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You shall put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. And so what I think to start the conversation, I know it's not the end of it. Um, those observations come to mind that there is a common grace that's extended, but it's not, <clears throat> excuse me, it's not to the depth of grace that we receive for those who are in Christ. And there is a limit to it. It's time bound. Yeah, so I think you make some salient points. A lot of the points I actually agree with. So how I even came to such a question was, I went to this passage in Luke chapter 10. So we'll go there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luke chapter 10, and this is verse 25 through 29. And, you know, being a philosopher, I like to think very critically about things. So I, I kind of walk you through some of the thoughts I had here. It said, let me know if you got there yet. I'm in Luke almost. Okay. Okay, got it. Okay. She's doing old school guys. She's she's, she's <laughs> I got the book. <laughs> yeah. Right. The highlighting all those things that are necessary. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Luke chapter ten, verse twenty five to twenty nine says, One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, do this and you will live. The man, 
wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So the reason why I love this passage of scripture is because this passage of scripture, what it does, at least for me, is anytime I read scripture, there's two perspectives that I have. What does it mean for us as the body of Christ? And what does it mean for me personally? How can I look at this and apply to things for my own personal sake? Mm -hmm. And when it comes to how this verse addresses us as believers, anytime you come to God, to the table, to read God's word, if you have a bias or prejudice that is attached to how you interpret the word of God, you'll miss the truth that comes out of it. That's the first thing that I noticed. Why? Because Jesus asked him a question, right? The credentials is laid out that he's an expert. And then Jesus replied, how does the law of Moses? He said, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? So if you have a president of bias that covers the, and there's a wool over your eyes, then you're missing the important element of what it's, it's supposed to mean to us as believers, right? Another question that I asked myself when I read this passage is that the word of God, right? We know that the word of God was not written for us, but it was written to us, right? The book itself was is an Eastern, Middle Eastern book. It wasn't written for us, but we see that as followers of Christ, it was written to us, which means a lot of the elements within scripture is written for the believer in order to you know, motivate him, encourage him, inspire him, in order for him to see God's goodness, grace, and love. So when I read such a passage as this, I want to make sure that because it's addressing me personally, how am I interpreting it is the first thought. The second thought is, in fact, what should I be taking from it? And then the third thought is, do I have any biases or prejudices that is preventing me from totally understanding what it's meant for me? So that's the first thought that I had to myself. Because moving forward, every other passage that I read, I have to make sure that I'm reading to get the fulfillment of it to help me in my personal life and also what it means for the body of Christ. So what are your thoughts to my uh, critical thinking aspect to this particular passage? You mean as far as asking the questions, what do, how does this apply to the body and how does this apply to myself? Yeah. 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 And I, I think too, we're the full understanding of how does this apply to the body of Christ today? How does this apply to myself is best understood too, when we understand the, the historical context in which we find ourselves of like, who is, who is in my, in my text, it says the lawyer, who is the lawyer and what are they, what are they really engaging in? You know, this is a very Socratic conversation where it's like, you know, ask the question as a means of kind of drawing out deeper truth. And then here, you know, like I remember learning in a Bible study, um, the Pharisees were kind of the celebrities of the day, right? Yeah. These were the guys that were used to being on top, were used to having all the answers. And, you know, what does it show us of God that he, that he turns the table and and ask what sounds like a very simple question, who is my neighbor? And yet what it does is it completely reveals, um, you know, like as he's asking, who is my neighbor? Jesus turns it on his head and completely reveals the, um, the well, what we would call now is Pharisaicalism, right? As, as the, the, um, the complete, you know, whitewashed tomb of these, um, of this 
celebrity of this of this lawmaker so um mm-hmm. so that's just what comes to mind is like when we understand the context of what's going on historically it creates an even deeper um clarity and and just for me such an affection for christ that like he came to kind of dismantle our own posturing yeah. you know like yeah. just like you were talking about with biases we want to come with um we want to come polished up and he says no you're best when you're broken mm. Yes, because if you come also with your own biases, it prevents you from from getting the the crux of what the text is actually saying, right? Because he says, right, the in, in the NLT, it says the man wanted to justify his actions, right? Yes. He's just understanding what's going on in the human heart already knows what's happening, but then uses the opportunity with the conversation. And when you lay out the aspect of his credentials as him being an expert in the law, it still shows room for growth and understanding and development too, right? It doesn't necessarily mean he's got it all together because if he's got it all together, right, there's a passage in Corinthians where it says those who think they know something don't yet know as they ought to know, right? Which means we have to have a level of openness and optimism when it comes to looking at different aspects of a text to help us totally get the different point of views that we might have missed. And sometimes God does this unique thing of providing revelation knowledge constantly over and over again through new different avenues of how we can arrive at a conclusion, right? So now, so here's the shorter version of how I would answer the question. So after I've done that, this opened up my the opportunity for me to read another text through a bigger and broader lens. So let's go to Genesis chapter 8. Mm-hmm. And we're going to look at verses 20 to 22 in the English Standard Version. Okay. Okay. Okay, so it's, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of the man, because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains seed time, harvest, cold and heat, summer, winter, day and night shall not cease. So when we want to talk about God's grace, and his mercy, and it being accessible to the Christian mm-hmm. or to the unbeliever. What we see here, specifically in verse 21 and 22, is a promise that God makes to never do something again. And it's something that we can look at as reliable, which means if you have individuals that aren't Christian or know nothing about God, God has left something that is provided that allows them to live life and flourish. Right. If you look at verse 22, it says seed time and harvest will be something that is reliable for people to live. Cold and heat, summer and winter, the seasons, night. We can build our lifestyle revolving around things that are something we can count on regularly and seasonally. Right. There's a phrase that I talk about where it says we live our lives on levels. We arrive in stages. It happens in seasons. When you talk about God's grace and mercy, whether or not we ever acknowledge him, what camp we ever come from, 
God is good enough to allow us to be able to live our lives, still choose him. And if we don't choose him, that doesn't mean we aren't able to accessibly have reached to these things. That gives us access to still be able to live a life, even if heaven is here on earth and not with him. So this is the perfect example that sets the stage for me to see that God is good. He's good enough to give us things that we can count on to live our lives, even if he's not in it. Hmm. Yeah, that's so good. And it really, um, you know, it, it makes me think about like, there's this baseline offering to everybody and you may, you may be going here later. So tell me if I'm jumping the gun a little bit, but it makes okay. me think of Romans eight twenty eight, where it's like, what's the distinction between the believer and the unbeliever. And I think for us as the believers, we can get in a little bit of a trap when we start to say, well, my life should look better because I'm in Christ. Like, why do I have this cancer? Why do I have, you know, why is my child sick? Why am I going through this challenge in my marriage or with my family of origin? Like, why, why doesn't it look better? And we can start to look at God and say, don't you love me? And that's what Psalm 73 speaks to is like, we see the unrighteous flourishing, it looks like, but we have something that they don't have. And I, I, this really solidified to me when my dad passed away. And I remember telling my children, like, this is where the believer gets spoiled rotten because we have this promise in Romans 8, 28 that says, because of his great love for us, like basically all things work together for good, including the things that on their face look terrible. And whereas I think the, you know, the distinction is the unbeliever there's, there are experiences that look good and experiences or look and feel good experiences that look and feel bad. And there's not really a great way to overcome the difficulty, but for us as believers, whether it looks good, looks bad, feels good, feels bad. There is this underlying promise that he will work all things together for good for those who love him. That is an exclusive promise to the believer. Yes. So uh, the the Romans 8:28 it is part of my discovery to move forward, but I want to hinge on what you said about love. So I want to go to Mark chapter 10. Mm. And I want to look at verse 17 through 22. And okay. this passage changed my perspective on how you can love someone at a distance. Mm. Okay? So again it's Mark chapter 10 verse 17 through 22. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit life? Now, in other texts, it talks about that this actual person was a rich young ruler. So Mm -hmm. it looks like I'm not getting it in this particular text, but Mm -hmm. maybe in Luke is there. And it says, and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your mother, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowfully, for he had great possessions. Now, when I looked at this passage, the first question that I asked myself is it said that Jesus loved him. But the question is, if he loved him, why would he let him go? That was the question that I asked myself. If he loved him, why let him go? 
And I realized that sometimes loving someone at a distance is letting them come to their own self-reflection and self-discovery. And you can't love somebody if you're constantly bashing them, constantly telling them what you believe they need to hear. Sometimes it's hitting rock bottom, right? When we learn about the story of the son that spoiled everything that he had, right? It wasn't until he hit rock bottom and came back to his father, where his father threw a celebration from him because he returned and came to his senses. And sometimes God wants us to come to discover the need for him, right? Mm -hmm. There's also a thought that comes to mind about God in general, is that when we look at who we are in Christ, there's a limitation, right? If you ever look at someone's success it's usually attached to their spirituality, whether it's in God or it's in another God. Those who are based, living and operating and doing things purely off of, you know, encouragement and motivation from their own intuition, satisfaction, and strength, apparently they get to a point in a stage where they fall short. And that's when we rely on God to help us carry it away. Jesus, who's the son of God, went through this moment. I think it's, let's go to the gospel of John chapter 11. I think it's John. No, actually, yeah, I believe it's, let me see. Mm. Okay, so it's Luke chapter 22. Let's go to Luke chapter 22. Okay. And let's go to verse 41 for context. And he says, And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if, if it is your will, remove this cup from me. So this is Jesus talking in his humanity, not in his divinity here, right? Which shows you even him who had power to do the things he's done, he got to a point where he couldn't, right? So if we go right here to verse 42, he says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done, right? And then we go to verse 43, and there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him, being in agony. He prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground, which means this was a moment and period of Christ within his humanity where it got to the point that he had to realize I'm at a point in time where not only am I trusting you, but I'm putting your needs, what it is that you want for me over my own desires. And sometimes us within the human context, with our willpower, we tend to do things, but then we reach a limit. There's a limit for every one of us. 
And the difference between one who has a lenience in their spirituality and connection to God versus one who doesn't have that is a difference between a difference, a huge difference between progress and stagnation, right? And I realized, you know, at least within this context, that Jesus, right, even when it came to him carrying the cross, Simon and individuals that was coming into the country had to assist him to carry the cross. Right. Mm-hmm. So these are periods and times where that Christ and his humanity needed help. Then what makes it any different for us that needs help? Mm-hmm. Right. We all come to a point where we no longer have the ability to carry the burden. Right. That's why Jesus says for my yoke is eating and my burden is light. Right. It's because he yeah. wants us to lean on him. The anxieties we have, he wants us to cast it at his feet because we're going to get to that point in life where we can't no longer do. Uh-huh. And we're going to need someone else to carry us and bring us home. Right. Yes. So what are your thoughts to that? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I agree that, that there is a, um, you know, we all have our limitations and Christ, even in his fullness of divinity, also wore concurrently fullness of humanity, which meant that while he didn't sin, he did have an end to himself, an end to his ability, an end to his, um, you know, his just uh, imagination of how am I going to get through this, Lord? You know, how am I going to get through this? Um, he held perfect submission, which of course is the area where we've got some work to do as human beings. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it it reminds me as you're talking of that passage in, uh, let's see, Second Corinthians, let's see, t- uh, is it 10, like 9 through 12? Um, is it or is it nine? It's that um, when I am weak, then I am strong. Yes, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so then Paul goes on to say, therefore I will boast all the more greatly. There was something he prayed about, Lord, three times. Prayed about this trial. Can you take it away from me? And then the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then he goes on to say, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses because when I am weak, then I am strong. And mm-hmm. so again, another place where we, you know, we have this promise at the end of ourselves, there's a greater force waiting to hold us. And that is unique to the Christian that, you know, that we get that because in our humanity, when we're weak, then we're just weak. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) Yeah. So there's another passage in this category of love that I want to touch bases on. And this changed my perspective as well. So it's gospel of John chapter 16 Mm -hmm. and it's verse 12 to 14. Okay. It says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you to all truth. For he is not speak, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare to you. Now, for the longest period of time, when I would pray and ask God for things, there were two different reasons I thought that I wasn't getting what I was asking for. One of them was because maybe there had been a situation when I haven't forgiven a brother or sister or a friend of mine, and therefore that unforgiveness was blocking my means to get what I needed from God. And I knew that it makes sense because God shows grace and mercy to those who harm others all the time. 
and they still get favor from God. So I knew it couldn't have been that because there's also talks about this in the Old Testament as well, that it going up to him like a sweet smelling aroma that is pleasing to him opens the door to the possibility of how some prayers are answered. But when I looked at this particular text, right, it speaks about a point in time where there's many things he wants to tell us, but we can't bear them. And I realized that sometimes in our walk with God and we ask things for God and we don't get them immediately. I don't think we ask the question enough. Is my place in faith in order to occupy enough in order for me to handle what it is that I'm asking for? And when we're talking about God loving us, sometimes he has to love us by not giving it, giving us what we need at that moment. Doesn't necessarily mean that we won't ever get what we ask God for. It just Mm -hmm. means that we have to come to a place of maturity to be able to handle what it is that we're asking for God. And because God loves us, he loves us. He withholds it for us temporarily until we get there. And I realized that that's a hard pill to swallow because in our current state, a lot of us do believe that we deserve the things that we're asking God for. And that brings you back to the verses you mentioned, 828, all things work together for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Mm-hmm. That has to mean, right, that certain things, if God knows us best and we trust in him, we lean not on our own understanding, but his, then there's a purpose and a reason why I haven't yet got it yet. And if I'm trusting and believing in God, I have to know he knows best. And therefore I have to wait on the Lord. And sometimes Mm -hmm. that's hard to do, right? Yes. That's very hard to do. And we may not know what's going on now, but if we continue through the process, I think that process would allow us to see how great God is. And God is a God of process, right? There are times Mm -hmm. where in order for us to get to a place, certain things have to happen to us in order for our development to happen. Our character has to be changed. The way we see the world has to be changed. Our maturity and our walk with God, whether it's through prayer or relationship with others, has to change. And those things, if they don't change, then we can't handle what it is that we're asking God for. So I think he's shielding us from ourselves. And that's one of the ways that God loves us, even though I may not get it at the moment. Mm, yes, it is so true. And, um, you know, I think about that passage that talks about like a father disciplining his children yeah. and that it's actually a sign of love. Yeah. And, you know, we, I, I feel like, and this is, it's been, it's been a, a really sweet process of, you know, becoming a mother or having my children get a little bit older, you know, you can see the entitlement, right. Of like, but I want it now. I want it now. And, um, and it's so clear to me as their parent, you can't handle it now. You know, you're not ready. You're not ready to, you know, my kids are asking to watch, you know, what, can we watch PG-13 movies? You know, the oldest is 11. Can, you know, why can't I drive the car? <laughs> it's just, and it's so obvious to us. Well, God sees the same. He, and I, I feel like one of the phrases he's given me is, um, your scope is too small. Your soul is too small. Your scope is too small. Um, you have forever ahead of you. And, um, you know, C.S. Lewis in his book, the 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 last battle, which is the last of the Chronicles of Narnia series, and this this concept is also present in his book, The Great Divorce. Both both have parables of heaven in them. Um, talk about even in eternity, there's this process of becoming, of growing in faith, and you know whether that's true theologically or not, I don't know. But I love 
bringing it back to the present reality, which is that there is this progression from glory to glory. And, you know, we see in the parable of the talents in, in Matthew, um, this idea of the one who is faithful will in, in a little will be set over more. We have to exercise those muscles. And for me, um, every kind of promotion into a new a new sphere, a new level of responsibility, a new level of authority has required a death of some kind. It requires some sort of stretching and breaking, you know, whether it's an, uh, a call to forgive, uh, a deep betrayal, a call to, um, you know, a call to kind of navigate a, a challenging, um, I mean, really interpersonal issue or what, I mean, so often for me, it's relational because that's really where my ministry lies. Um, But we, we get these appointments and they're often very painful and we don't want that, right? We don't want the pain, but that's the way to, that's, you know, that's the, that's the place that we have to weather in order to be ready for the next thing, because the more responsibility we get, the more people they're going to be. And the more people they're going to be, the more challenging it's going to be to navigate, you know, hurts and miscommunications and um and desires and all of those things so yes Mm -hmm. we tend to just have this limited view of well i want it well it comes at a cost Mm -hmm. it always does Mm -hmm. because i think of three scriptures one of my favorites is in james right and i always ask myself he says consider it pure joy count it joy Mm -hmm. when you Mm -hmm. face trials and tribulations to know that the testing of your faith produces Mm -hmm. perseverance let perseverance finish its work so that mm-hmm. you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Not lacking if anyone, anything. Like, anyone mm-hmm. asks God, he'll get generously without fighting for. And I always pair it with Romans 5, 3 through 5, where he says, rejoicing your sufferings because it produces perseverance, character, and hope. Mm-hmm. Hope does not mm-hmm. put you to shame because the Holy Spirit's been pouring out. And, mm-hmm. and I think about the conversation Jesus had with Peter. When he spoke about the devil seeks to have you, but I pray that your faith not fail you. And then he mm-hmm. talks about this, the trials or the situations that you're going to go through. Use them to strengthen your brothers and sisters, which means that there's an experience that he has personally. And he takes what happens personally and he shares it among his brethren, which is more in a group. So it's a transferring of personal experience to help the community of believers as a whole, which is what we see throughout scripture when it comes to the proof of testimonial aspects. So uh, I have two more scriptures and then I'll get to how I, and I want to run this passion and hear what your thoughts are. So this is what tends to happen to me. I go through these rabbit holes of connecting dots and I believe scripture supports scripture, right? I believe that the supported text help you draw a map so you can see clearly that like I say, the Bible's full of patterns, principles, and precepts, and every aspect of it has a connection. There's no single letter that has been written that doesn't have some sort of equalizer to the overall perspective that we should have. So this passage of scripture, I remember bringing up to a friend of mine, and he was surprised it was even there. And this kind of points to the, shuns the idea that Christ just died for the Jewish nation. If we go to the Gospel of John chapter 11, Mm-hmm. And we read verses 49 through 53. This is what it says here. And I'll, let me know when you've gotten there. Okay. Yeah. So it says, then one of them named Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. 
you do not realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than that than the whole nation. He said he did not say this on his own. That as a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God, to bring them together and to make them one, so that for that day, on they plotted on him to take his life. So I had to understand that this passage of Scripture brings together the idea that it's not just the Jews he died for, but for the whole nation, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, is extremely and profound. Because now it connects me to the verse that I want to talk about, and I'll bridge, I'll bridge, I'll bring them all together, right? John three sixteen, right? I don't have to bring this, right? God so loved mm-hmm. the world, whoever believed in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The mm-hmm. contingent there that I think people ignore and bypass is that you have to believe in Him. That's the yeah. contingent. Contingency is the belief in Him, right? And that made me realize, right? That in life, I look at it as a scale, zero and two. A lot of us fall on the one of the scale. What I mean is there's a place in which the decision we take, we make to actually believe God or reject him is our choice. There's a passage in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 34, where it says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. So accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior is a declaration of acceptance that he's, he, you're giving him permission to have lordship over your life, right? And once you do that, that is, it is a difference between public admission and private admission. Public admission at least is acknowledged within the confines of water baptism, which is a public declaration that you're allowing all the different spiritual forces that you're connected to God only. That's what the whole aspect of the water baptism is 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 symbolizing, right? Because when you have the personal acknowledgement, right, whoever believes in God in his heart and confesses out of his mouth, he is saved. That's between you and God. But the public acknowledgement and baptism is in front of everyone. It is most times done in a public environment and corporate worship. That's usually when baptisms are acquiring and spiritual forces are surrounding and taking note of heed of who your Lordship is. That doesn't mean that you won't be attacked or you won't be challenged. It just means that you're publicly acknowledging who your Lord is, right? And I realized that when it comes to choosing to accept Christ and choosing to embrace Christ, we move into the area where we receive God's grace and mercy and protection and shield. When we reject him, did we move out of the category where God protects us and shields us under his guidance and tourship? And you move in accessibility to all the other spiritual forces that have the ability to have reached to you. And I got to this conclusion, right? Because there's a passage in Luke chapter 11, verse 28. I love it in the Amplified Version. If you read it in the regular version, there's a conversation that Jesus is having a woman. And she says, blesses the woman that births you. Jesus said, no, blessed rather is the one who hears my words and does what it says. The Amplified Version says, blessed and highly favored. The word favor is to be blessed by God, right? Blessed and highly favored are those who hear my words and continually observe it. So when we talk about having access to God's favor is love, 
right? You talked about the distinction earlier when you gave your answer. And I'm declaring that it's true, that that distinction is hinging on accepting God and allowing him to be your Lord and no one else. So that moves you in the category to continuously get blessed because now you're in a place where you can be blessed because you're continually deciding to hear God's word and allow it to continually shape and fashion your mind, right? Romans 12, 2. Let's not be conformed to the paths of this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. So God's word is foundational for us. It's our compass. It's our anchor. And everything within it allows us to be aware of the different spiritual forces and battles we face on a regular basis. So reading into God's word puts us in a place where we are shielded and protected because now we can move in authority and power. But when we elect not to and we move away from it, then you no longer can be get access to the things God has for you. And that's reserved in Corinthians chapter two about his love, right? And we can go there mm-hmm. when he gives a list that no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has reserved for those who love him. That is mm-hmm. a completely different category that we have access to because we mm-hmm. are leaning into that. And when we don't lean into that, we miss out on God's great and his perfect will for us. So yeah. that's how I arrived at that answer. Mm-hmm. That's so I, so went good. On a, I went on like a whole journey to get to that point. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So God is good to these people. And the connection you made in Matthew 5 is also in James, right? Where it says the, he causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous, on the righteous and the wicked, the sun and the shine on the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. So. That's right. That's right. And praise God that we have that opportunity to go from glory to glory once we turn to him, yeah. that all things work together for good. That's so good. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want to add? Oh, no. I, oh, gosh, I mean, could we go for another couple hours with all of this? I mean, yeah. there's, so much, <laughs> there's so much to it. And then you pull in mm-hmm. suffering and loss and what do you do with that? And But mm-hmm. I mean, I think just to answer the the foundational question of, um, you know, does he offer, does he make accessible his favor and love to a point, but there's this depth of goodness that only the Christian gets access to. And that's where, that's where the walk gets really sweet. Yeah. And and don't get it twisted, right? I, I think things that people don't realize is life is not going to be you know, sun shines and blue skies, right? We, we have to, I think the most important question that I've always asked myself, and I said, you know, when we think about, and this is me, we think about, and this is just my opinion, right? When I think about the altar call, the altar call is a simple traditional practice to get people saved. But I think a lot of them have no idea what it takes to actually walk with God. And that, that yeah. commitment is a bit more like when I think and Jordan Peterson said this, and I believe it's true. I think he coherently came to a point in life when he realized that if I'm going to actually commit to this, what it actually takes to really do it like with all that I have. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us are more fearful of, you know, because in, in the past is. Jesus says, fear the person who could take the body and the soul, not just the one. Don't fear the one who could just take the body, right? Which is pointing more into how much more power God has over us, not just in this life, but in the life mm-hmm. after this, right? 
Mm-hmm. And yes. when I when I think about reading scripture and I think about what happens is, it, it, two things can happen. I can read it and I can hear it, but not truly accept it. Or I can hear it, understand the significance of it. And then I'm held accountable now, right? And I think that's why a lot of people avoid <laughs> reading the Bible. Because mm-hmm. once you've heard it, you can never retract it and be like, oh, no, I didn't hear it. Like, once you're in, you're mm-hmm. in, right? Oh, yeah. And that calls yeah. you to God. Anyone that encounters God, uh, Christ, you have to step it up and be mm-hmm. better than you once were, right? It says in Hebrews, and yes. others, I continue with the entry, the elementary ways of thinking. We have to shift and move in the next direction and that's going to call us to experience in a lot of cases and i've had this uh, for years to be convicted in a lot of areas and feel really bad the holy spirit really does convict you and make you Mm -hmm. feel really really bad in some areas and i used Mm -hmm. to take that for granted but i knew with certainty that he was getting me to change and be better because that's the decision and choice that i've made to follow him yeah yeah And I think, you know, I had a period of time in my faith where um, there was just almost this stutter step where I kept coming up to the ledge and backing away and coming up to the ledge and backing away because I had in my mind um, this, this idea that if I really gave it all to him, that I was by definition going to have it all stripped away. And, um, and so, and I'd been a believer for a couple decades at that point. And um, but what I was left with by that kind of shying away of going all in, and I, you know, I'd been saved for years, and you know, I laughed when you said like it's, yeah, you know, we kind of don't have any idea of what we're getting into. So with everything, right? First day of college, you know, when we get married, when we have our first child, you know, there are there are landmarks that I haven't even passed, but I know those. And we have no idea what we're getting into. That's God's kindness so that we won't say, never mind. Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because yeah. we don't think we can hang. But what but when I wouldn't when I wouldn't commit and say, no matter what, I'm yours. No matter what you bring me, I will go. If a, if you lead me down a path that leads directly to a deep suffering that I don't even think I'm going to be able to survive, I will go. When I wouldn't do that when I held back, what I was left with was anxiety, fear, self-protection, idolatry, because the things in my mind that I didn't think I could handle, that I thought he would take from me if I gave myself fully to him. And I was saved. I was going to go to heaven. I was just, you know, like I don't, I'd reached a, I'd reached a, a plateau. I wasn't going any further in my growth with him at that point. Um, those, those things became idols and therefore I was plagued, right? I was plagued. And so I reached a point several years ago where I decided enough's enough. You know, that, that passage in Job, even though you slay me, I will trust in you. Um, I, whatever it takes. And the beautiful thing is one of my big fears was losing my dad because he had been chronically ill for, um, for about two decades at that point. And so this, since I was a, a young teen, this fear of losing him had kind of become magnified and, you know, and, and, uh, and really like almost cartoonishly grotesque of like, how will we ever survive? And, um, and I lost him a couple of years ago. And the crazy thing was in his passing, I received a greater understanding of my own dad's love and God's love than I've ever had in my life. 
And so we kind of like, we worry ourselves to pieces and we say, well, I could never handle, I could never, what if he wants me to go on the mission field? What if I lose a child? What if I, what if we're supposed to do adoption? I don't want to do adoption or whatever these stories are that we have in our minds. That's an exposure of our idolatry. We all have them there. But the beautiful thing about God um, is, and this is why I tell my children, like we're spoiled rotten. He's so kind. Mm -hmm. He, he is so gentle in his, in his takeaways. You know, it's that, that's, yeah, that praise song like he gives and takes away, right? Um, mm-hmm. Which is, it's also a passage from scripture, I'm almost positive you would know. But, um, but you know, he gives, he takes away, but in his taking, he is so gentle. And, you know, this feeling of like, when my dad passes, it's going to be like going off a cliff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there was this invisible hand that caught me in his passing that I never could have known would be there if I hadn't been willing to say, you can take whatever it is, and yeah. I'm going to trust your goodness. Yeah. There's two passages of scripture that comes up to mind. They're both in Philippians. So mm. I want to let's go to these last these are the last two passages that I'm thinking. Of. Let's go to Philippians chapter three. Yeah. And I want to read verse ten. And this hit me different, right? It says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his suffering, becoming like him in death, that I, by any means possibly, I may attain the resurrection from his death. Mm. And the reason why this passage hits me so much is because we understand, right, that we all have to individually carry our own cross. And the way we truly get to know God is in our own period of suffering. It may not be the physical Mm -hmm. suffering that God experienced, right? But we as Christians, right, I think as Peter says, by the bearing of the name, you're going to experience some things. That's just mm-hmm. part of it, right? Because that's what you're doing. You're bearing the suffering that you have to get, and you get to know God more through the suffering, right? Which is why you talked mm-hmm. about the passage in Corinthians where Paul was asking God to remove something, but he talked about that, you know, my grace is sufficient for you. So in that mm-hmm. weakness, he actually knows what it's like to actually embrace God and his lowest point. And that that yes. requires taking some things and and forfeiting it over to God, and then you begin mm-hmm. to understand him and in the power of his yes. resurrection and sharing right we all when we come to Christ die to the things that we once thought meant a lot to us, mm-hmm. but we don't physically die, but the things we cared about do at the sacrifice yes. of God's request in order to walk with him in light, right? In James and mm-hmm. and, a God, and first John, it says, God is light in him is no darkness. If we claim to walk in fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we do not live out the truth, right? Mm-hmm. So that's a call in itself. And the last passage I want to I wanna reference is Philippians 4. And I, I always laugh at this because everyone reads verse 13. Like, what about verse 10 <laughs> to verse 13, right? And This gives me much more hope when he says, let's say, says, I, verse 10, I will rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revealed your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in every, in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In every and every circumstance, I have learned the secrets of facing plenty 
and hunger, hunger, abundance, and in need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So we want to bring out the aspect of doing all things through Christ who strengthens me. But what about when you don't have nothing? You got to learn yes. in that too. Right? <laughs> right, Paul? Like the many hungry nights he went on and was thrown overboard. He's talking about in, these, in the midst of these situations, he learned how to be content because being content a lot of times is enough. Yes. Right? Yes. And, and I say that for myself as well, man. Mm-hmm. That's so good. Yeah. And, it, you know, it's so interesting. Like we do, we look at this verse as like almost a Superman verse. I can do all yeah. things. Well, really, it's a content in trials verse, yeah. which, you right. know, doesn't sound so appealing. No. But I, I think what we miss about God, and this was so beautiful in that chapter three passage that you just read, is we think that if I hold on to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to hold on to these few little things, just my little pet favorites that I really, surely Lord, you wouldn't ask me to give up this. Mm -hmm. And the thing that so that we miss about the father's heart is whatever he takes, he also restores in some form Mm -hmm. because he's a resurrection God. Like he you know, you think about Jesus laying down his life. What did he get back? He took it up again and he took up a life that was indestructible, you know, that, that was eternal and, um, and, and truly limitless. You know, he went up on the clouds and yet is, is fully, is, is in physical form, you know, in, in the likeness of what we are, but, you know, obviously fully redeemed. And so it, whatever we lay down, we get to take it up again. So we don't need to view him. You know, it's like, I just love the parable of the talents. You know, why did the one talent guy get thrown out? Because he didn't see God correctly. He saw him as a hard man, right? And when we miss the heart of the father, we're going to miss the opportunity to truly live the, the abundant life that, that Paul talks about in chapter four, right? Mm-hmm. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can look, I can look in the face of hunger. I can look in the face of, you know, for him, whippings and shipwrecks and being bitten by a snake. And I can, I can do it. Yeah. I can do it because the heart of the father is with me. Yeah. You're referencing a lot of Hebrews 11 about all the individuals. I call it the hall of faith. Mm-hmm. All of them stood. And I always say, I know faith is a substance of things hopeful to evidence and things not seen. But I always view in scripture that faith is a reason trust. It's a reason mm. to trust God. And these yeah. testimonies, we know the greatest testimony of their all is Christ. But these testimonies help me along the way to continuously understand that my faith in God is not blind, but is a reason. Trust that other people have provided and whether we're looking in acts or we're looking in corinthians about these things were written in former days for our benefit it all bring us back to acknowledging that we need these testimonies even the woman at the well who shared her testimony with the city and maybe people got saved as a result of her testimony people got mm-hmm. saved by her words and then when he showed up they got saved by his there is one more passage right i, I keep saying that but this is the last passage <laughs> it's actually it's actually the passage that i unpacked with on this on this 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 segment bible study reflection solo with friends and it's so it's such a passage that needs to be mentioned because it completes this whole conversation and it's in a book that a lot of people don't talk about lamentations oh i love <laughs> lamentations is it okay. three yes yes it is so you know the verse oh, yeah. And, oh I, yeah and i love it in the nlt because this portion of scripture was just so subtle 
I remember when I first read Land Mutations, I'm like, what a sad book. Mm-hmm. That's how I felt when I first read it. But this passage I thought was amazing and I thought the NLT put it in such a way that it brought it brought hope to my heart anytime I'm going through something. And let me know what you got in there. All right, let's see. All right, got it. Okay, uh, verse 31, it says, For no one is abandoned by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he also shows compassion. Because of the greatness of his unfailing love, for well, he does not enjoy hurting people or causing them sorrow. And that's interesting to me when I read this, because I was like, yeah, he, he, he doesn't bring grief. He also shows some passion, which is interesting because when I think about what happened to me yesterday, the compassion, and I knew God's hand was over, is that I had put things away that if anything would have happened, my mom always said, you know, save a, a, do- a dollar for a rainy day. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the, the wisdom that is bestowed upon you and provided to you comes up so subtly in moments that does bring you comfort where you don't panic. So even mm-hmm. when everything seems like it's falling down on you and crushing you, God has a way of providing something in that day that lets you know he still loves you. Whether it's someone that comes up to you and say God loves you. Whether somebody that gives you a break. And I've had moments where my car is broken mm-hmm. down somewhere and AAA could have charged me. He didn't charge me the full amount. Like favor mm-hmm. has been shown on the hearts of men and women for me, most of my walk with God, to give me a hint that, you know, the two most important commandments says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we'll begin into First John. It says no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another through us, God's love is made perfect in us. And the reason why we don't love ourselves first, but we love God first, because God loves through us. So God can love through someone to show you that he loves you, even in the midst of what you're going through. And yes. sometimes it takes, it takes the discernment to see God's love, even in the worst moments. Well, so when mm-hmm. I read this about his compassion, and I read this about not abandoning me, it shows so subtly in moments where I can see it. And I want to be able to see it if I didn't understand that God is present through all situations. And just like Joshua, when he was in jail, the constant verse that gets mentioned was that mm-hmm. God was with him. God was with him. Right. God was with That's him. Right. So, yeah. That's right. That's right. I actually was just, it's so funny you bring up this passage. It's so God, right? Yeah. Um, I was just reading about this very passage in the book, Gentle and Lowly, which is a beautiful book by Dale Ortland about the father's heart. And um, they talked about Lamentations 33. And he said, this, this, uh, this book was written as a poem. And the first and second and fourth and fifth chapters all have 22 verses. The third has 66. So it's kind of bringing this perfection, right? The triplet. So 22 times three. And so the very middle verse, the pinnacle of the whole chapter or the whole book is 333. And in in my Bible, in the um, English Standard Version, for he does not afflict from his heart 
or grieve the children of men. And the, the author, Dale Ortland brought the distinction of he does not afflict from his heart. It is not the Lord's heart towards us to afflict. He doesn't, he doesn't kind of punitively say, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to knock Jonathan off, you know, off of his day right now with these hardships. It's no, there's actually gift in it. It's like resistance training. I'm going to deepen his faith. I'm going to deepen their faith. I'm going to deepen their trust in me. I'm going to give them just a little picture. Right. And like with my children, when my when they would lose things as toddlers, we would pray, you know, Lord, thank you that you care about the small things. Would you help us find this thing? And like seconds later, they'd find it. Wow. Well, now that they're seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven years old, they're learning. Sometimes there's a consequence to not putting things back where they belong. Sometimes they have to wait. Sometimes they never find it. But when we're babies, we need that milk. And now we get the meat. Now we get the harder wrestles of, okay, Lord, where are you when the, when the wallet doesn't show up? Where are you when, you know, when there, now I have to lay out money for this, you know, for this issue with my car and to see like, it's not quite as um, one-to-one. It's not quite as, as easy and obvious, but we're, we're bigger kids in our faith now. We can handle more and we can trust him more. Yeah. All right. I think that's the best way to end. You, you put you, you put the icing and the the sprinkles and the cherry on top, right? That's all. Cherry I'm on top. Anything else? I think someone that's a finisher for their ice cream in some way. I think, I, I think I've laid it it's out. Everything. Yeah. All right. Cool. So yes, and I want to thank you so much for coming on. This was great. If anyone's great. ever interested and wants to sit down and do this, I think this is good. I, I enjoy doing this particular segment because. Iron sharp design, and if anybody watches that, watches that, you know that in some cases it could be very difficult, and other times, and other times it could be very pleasant, because you know, in moments like this, we get to see how God is operating. And hey, I, I love these moments because when you have two believers that are coming together in an agreement, you see how much more God could bring out and share with us that the other person can add to the conversation, which then strengthens both of our faith and consistent with God's word and that's his right. truth, right? That's that's always something that happens. So that's right. is there anything you want to share with my audience where they can find you, any groups? I want to make sure I put that out there. So oh, thank you. Answer, yeah. Yeah. So I have a Facebook group for women of faith who really are seeking to be courageous and brave in their walk with the Lord. And we just talk about little ways that we can be faithful and little and set over more. The parable of the talents. It's one of my favorites. So um, I'll give you the link for that, Jonathan, to put in the show notes. And then I'm on Instagram as well. So I would love to connect with your people. All right. Sounds good. So we're going to close out in prayer here. Okay. Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to thank you so much for what you're doing and what you continue to do. Lord, we know that quite often the term fear is used in a way where people think that we should be fearful of you. But the actual term for fear is the reverence, to have respect for someone or something, and in fact it is you. So Lord, I pray that as we go out throughout this week, protect us, guide us, direct us, uh, let us be mindful of the things that are happening behind us, in front of us, and left and the right of us. Let our eyes not depart from your word, because in your word we find refuge, comfort, security, and direction. Let us continue not to lean on our own understanding, but on yours. Let us continue to add to our faith goodness, into goodness, knowledge, into knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, mutual affection, to mutual affection, love. 
Let us continue to walk around wearing the full armor of God, Lord, because we don't know when in which we will encounter someone who needs to hear about you. Lord, for you told us, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have, but to do it gently and respectfully. Let our, our speech always be seasoned with salt so we know how we ought to answer others who are in need. And more importantly, the way that we respond to people, let it be gentle, so to, gentle to the possibility so that they can hear us and that they can obviously seek you. Lord, we know that by seeking you, you first seek ye the kingdom of God and all these righteous things will be added to us. It's something that we wholeheartedly believe. I want to thank you. I want to thank you so much for Anna coming on and sharing her wisdom and her walk with you. And I pray that she continues to be a blessing to her audience and to people who are listening to her and to her family. Lord, even the little things matter and everything that we do, not only are you watching over us and protecting us, but you continue to fashion us and shape us into who we are. Let us not look at the things that happen to us as negative, but let it look as an opening a possibility for you to share more of your love for us and for us to trust you even more deeply. Let these moments encourage us to grow closer to you and not to anything else that can steer us away from you. Lord, we know that you're Alpha and Omega, beginning, the end, creator of all things, and anything that we ask according to your will, you will do. So, Lord, let us not lean on our own understanding, but let us lean on you who knows better. And as you told us in Romans 8.28, let us be musically encouraged. No, Romans 1.12, let us be musically encouraged by one another's faith in Romans 8.28. Let us trust in you through these moments and times where it may seem that there's no way out, but you're the only way out. So let us lean into that. And Lord, we say these things with surety and confidence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.